Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Well, hello, my survivor friends. How we doing? Have you resorted to eating bugs pried from the rotten mortar between the cinder blocks of the bunker walls because you have gone a whole two weeks without the sustenance of after the apocalypse? Well, we've got a treat for you then. A bit of grisly victuals in the form of a sci-fi horror short story written read into audio, and produced by friend of mine and friend of the show, Dwayne. And after the story, I'll I'll stick a little chat in we had, and finally I'll take you to the exit with my usual closing comments on some bits and bobs. So note, for those of you who might be blundering into this, blundering into the after-the-apocalypse feed from, let's say, another dimension or perhaps an alien spaceship, this is not, I repeat, not <laughs> an episode of the story itself, because today it is June 2023, and we just finished the last episode, episode 20 of season three at the end of May, and we will be coming back with season four, and then eventually season five, but this will be towards the end of the summer. This is an interregnum episode where I treat you to some new and different new and different bits and bobs for a few weeks while Chris recharges his creative batteries by running in the woods with Ollie the Killer Collie or laying on the beach in Cape Cod or drinking a few too many good craft beers. As Stephen Covey said, you have to take time to sharpen the saw. So, without any further ado, adieu, adieu, to you and you and you. No, that's a different kind of a do. Here are a couple of quick words from Dwayne's curricular vitae <laughs> resume. And I quote, Dwayne likes to think of himself as a almost acceptable, ambitious creative. He has significantly dabbled over the years in acting, singing, stage production, game design, and has even invested in the discipline of endurance sports as a way of expressing his zest for life. And thanks partly to this After the Apocalypse Challenge, maybe, with some follow-through, some sort of fictional writing can now be added to that list of accomplishments. This is where the editor breaks in. Dwayne, that was a sentence of Nabokovian proportions, 70 words, way to bring it, monologuing like a pro. 
I will use my ownership privilege here to insert that Dwayne is one of our editors for the show and one whom I value greatly because he pushes me out of my comfort zone and calls me on my bullshit. Uh, we originally met through my old running podcast, and we have chewed dirt together at a couple of races, and I consider it a gift to be able to call him a friend. Dwayne goes on in his setup of this story that you're about to hear by saying, and I quote, The genesis of this particular piece was in reaction to an internet challenge a few years back from a horror fiction community that was looking for stories written from a zombie's perspective. Dwayne, he never followed through at the time, but the idea came to mind when the ATA, after the Apocalypse Challenge, was put forth, and Dwayne got right back to work fleshing out, sorry, pun intended, his thoughts in this regard. This piece turned out to feel more like an excerpt from what could be a more fully developed story. It'll be up to the listener to fill in the blanks for, as to what happened before or what happens after, more than the obvious man gets bit, man dies, dead man eats people, Dwayne was interested in the physical and psychological dynamics of those critical moments when an otherwise healthy individual becomes aware that something unwelcome, something dark within, has begun to take the reins. So rather than a zombie story, this may feel more like a zombie in-process story. On that note, sit back and enjoy... The Blackening of Wren And the darkness and decay held illimitable dominion over all. Edgar Allan Poe Wren steadied himself and breathed. His lungs expelled their contents in heavy bursts, but despite the distinct cold that had settled over the city, Wren noticed no trace of condensation. As his adrenaline began to wane, Wren let out a final, invisible sigh and sank deeper into his squat deeper than his forty-two-year-old frame should, by any account, be able to accommodate. As his weight sunk, he could feel the ligaments in his knees stretch through their limit. Wren's upper back arched and his shoulders rolled forward to keep his balance in the moment. His rump settled firmly on his heels. This flexibility and fullness of range still surprised him. There should be pain here. Wren thought, as he allowed his knees to torque even farther and heard the faint popping in the joints. But Wren felt no pain. There didn't seem to be any negative neurological signals at all, in fact, emanating from his brain. Wren winced regardless. He winced at this disconnect from reality, and he winced at the undeniable part of him that liked it. This uncoupling from the normal human experience, this raw physicality, this base tolerance for pain was nothing new to Wren. 
He was beginning to expect it, in fact, in moments like this. It was both exhilarating and terrifying. Ren reached up with his right hand and pressed his fingers lightly against the cold metal of the rusted dumpster that sat in front of him. He flattened his palm and pressed in harder, half expecting to feel the normal, vivid contrast in temperature between the frigid metal and the warmth of his hand, half expecting not. And sure enough, despite Ren's elevated heart rate from the concerted effort in the struggle that played out just moments earlier, the contrast of cold to hot here was barely noticeable. A black river flows an icy course within. Ren squeezed his eyelids tight and let his head drop forward. He just couldn't seem to put an end to this nightmare. Ren pushed off from the dumpster, away from this paradox. Tipping past center, his back and shoulders landed softly against the brick wall behind him his weight settling in tight and low. In this semi-collapsed position, Ren could feel the dread of solitude and the reality of his pathetic state beginning to mix awkwardly with a near-visceral sense of accomplishment. Ren turned his head toward the opening at the end of the alley and let it rest lightly against the cool brick, his thick, curly, long locks providing a measurable protection from the harshness of the brick. He half squinted as the light from the high lamp on the other side of the street, soft in its glow, peeked around the corner of the old brick apartment building and flooded Wren's eyes, eyes that welcomed it in with a brimming of tears. Wren recognized, even then, the peace and solace that beckoned, that the light represented. He wept. Low, audible sobs began to well up, and Ren's shoulders heaved in response, an extension of his soul's fight for recognition. Ren gathered himself and lifted his head from the brick. The thump of bass was no longer pulsing through from the other side of the wall. The late-night bands from the bars and clubs had finished up their anthems of angst. The last of the drunken patrons had filed out, and it wouldn't be long before a final, fresh selection of food scraps would be finding their way to, or at least toward, the dumpster. He could not be here when that happened. He'd have to keep to his dark task. Ren looked to his left arm. It hung there at his side, detached, it seemed, from the emotional display that had been playing out within its host. There was little fight left in the matted stray that lay limp in his shallow puddle of water, its snout yet firmly lodged in Ren's grip. They were not much different, Ren and this mutt. Just like the predator Ren himself, the arrival of fresh meat at the dumpster had become a recognizable pattern to the furry scavenger. 
It showed up most every night at this time to scarf up whatever scraps were left, recklessly accessible. This night, the beast, unfortunately for itself, had been unaware of Wren's presence in the shadows, and, perhaps even less fortunately, that Wren's sights were not set so much on the fresh pickings from the tables of the revelers within as they were set on the living, breathing delicacy that had been slinking towards him in shadows of its own along the building. And now, as the fight subsided, the two sets of eyes met, both revealing an exhaustion from the brief yet concerted effort against one another. The canine's eyes settled in a sad resignation. Its greatest weapon had been rendered powerless. It could no longer chomp for its freedom, as its lower jaw had been dislocated from its joint and now swung freely below a flailing pink tongue, somewhat comical in its uselessness. At first pounce from Wren, the alley wolf, though taken completely by surprise, had produced a few hard, instinctive chomps. But before any functional damage could be done to the fingers, Wren was able to secure the beast's lower jaw with his right hand and, with a quick wrench against the resistance, snap it back and free from its socket. There was no satisfaction in the conquest. It was a simple act of necessity. And as Wren rose slowly from his crouch, he took a step backwards out of the light and into the dark shadows where he and his wretched deeds belonged. He let his arm drop to his side and released his catch. The slum wolf produced a wet thwack as it landed on the damp pavement. It wouldn't be going anywhere. Wren could feel the drip of blood from his hand. Hands, actually. Mostly his own, he deduced. The beast's defenses were formidable. Its teeth were razor-sharp. Wren lifted his hands for inspection. The light was dim, but certainly bright enough to reveal a significant tearing of flesh. No bones seemed to be amiss, but the fingers and palm on his left hand revealed a tacky melange of flesh and blood that surprised Wren in its likeness to the Impressionist paintings he and Tori so appreciated on their visit to the National Gallery of Art in D.C. last spring. An odd, smearing effect to the normally familiar detail. With the thought of his love... Wren turned his eyes once again to the light that beckoned from the adjoining street at the end of the alley. He was no longer standing in it, nor was he worthy to be, but the light brought a moment of warmth and clarity nonetheless. The steady light of hope and truth. Wren's heart ached. Truth. Truth seemed a near-impossible standard for him to uphold these days. Once again, Wren ached for the tale he would have to produce and sell to his Tory as to where he was this odd hour. 
He dreaded the process of coming up with a story. Ren was smart, and he had usually been able to smuggle the realities of this nightmare he was living into his white picket fence life by stowing them away in tales of half-truths. But now, the darkness had pulled him into a world less manageable. Each day, as the sun sank below the horizon, Ren's cherished world seemed to slip away, and he was led deeper into a blackness that he did not understand. And now, this. Ren turned from the light and looked again at his Monet-like hand. He wondered what wild tale he might weave to fit this absurdity into the tidy world of Ren and Turi. But the wondering was short-lived as the darkness closed in around him and Ren settled naturally into the stark clarity of the moment. This was him, now. This was Ren. And Ren had needs. He studied his hands before him, their oddity. He marveled at their coolness, at the steady energy that seemed to flow through them, even the ravaged one. No pain. A wry smile emerged on Ren's face, hidden some by a few longer bands of wavy hair that had spilled forward. Ren bent over and with his right hand grabbed the stray's tail. He stood tall again. No need to hold the beast at arm's length. It was too weak to muster any kind of snap attack and would have no means of executing one anyway, what with its jaw dangling more absurdly now and barely attached by ligaments and mere strands of tissue. Ren's eyes were dry now as he stood in the shadows. He looked down at the slum beast. It was twitching tiredly. The tip of its snout, the only part of its body to reach the ground, dragged lightly on the pavement as Ren moved into position. He lifted his arm behind him and away, and, like a golfer with a wedge shot from seventy yards, swung back toward the side of the dumpster with a calculated, less-than-full effort. With the pendulum effect factored in, the beast's head met the metal corner of the dumpster at just the right speed, hard enough to knock the mud out, but not so hard as to end its natural life. Perfect. For a moment, Ren marveled, both at this unusual instinct of action he had demonstrated and at his lack of understanding of its source. And, perhaps for more than a moment, he marveled at his comfort with the situation in which he found himself. Here he stood, alone, deep in the shadows at the dead end of a soulless city, holding fast in shredded hands the most unlikely of prized possessions. And all was so right with the world. Ren's senses shimmered. And with the shimmering came a full dissipation of the marveling, of thought, 
of any consideration even of a reality other than the moment at hand. He turned and moved toward the darkest corner of the alley. He turned intentionally from this other world, from the light that no longer pierced him directly but was reduced to the faintest of hopes, a dull glow off a lonely brick wall. Wren spun with an odd alacrity to tuck neatly into the deepest corner of the alley. He dropped once again into a squat, his back sliding easily down the adjoining brick walls, walls laden with a black mold that almost seemed to welcome him into its comfort. He spread his knees, tucked his elbows in, and held his catch up close, warm and fully yielded now to his intentions. Peering through drapes of hair, Wren's dark brown eyes went black and rolled, not so much in sync, somewhere back and away. The shimmering within brightened to a flash of realization now as his senses locked in on the precious flow of blood, the river of life that pulsed just below the surface of an easily breached layer of matted fur and skin. A grin presented, then gaped grotesquely, revealing rows of eager shears that dripped in a frenzy of salivation. The fiend hesitated. Its head snapped to a hard angle as if to take a moment of consideration. Let's start with that tongue. the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTER Exclusions apply. See site for details. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So, what'd you think? I really got the sort of Edgar Allan Poe vibe from this story. That house of usher or pit in the pendulum type of atmosphere. And here are a few of Dwayne's thoughts on the story before we uh, insert a little bit of our conversation about it. And I quote, so perhaps the question is, what would the presence of death within the living cause one to long for in its simplest survivalist form? 
Could that longing be to take in or consume anything one perceives to be harboring the essence of life? Is this a state of development that can ever be reversed? Is there a force in life or relationship that is strong enough that when wielded would allow for one to overcome such a dark invasion? And this piece you just heard was preceded with a quote from Edgar Allan Poe's Mask of the Red Death. It was meant to simply set the tone of hopelessness as a darkness fully settles in. I guess that would be up to the author if he is ever able to muster the, quote, acceptable ambition to flesh this story out more. And he thanks you for listening. Now, this is back to my voice here. One of the things in our conversation that Dwayne and I talked about a lot was not being afraid to take chances. I think we fail to try sometimes simply because we're afraid. And it's not necessarily because we're afraid that we won't be able to do it or afraid that the product will be bad. We're afraid of what people will think of us. Uh, We're afraid of criticism and we're afraid we won't be good enough in the eyes of others. And that keeps us from doing our best work. And that's a shame because we all have good work inside us and worrying about what people think is ironically not even about other people. It's about yourself. It's about your opinion of yourself. So if I were to have a message for you, it would be to get over yourself and just do the work and have fun with it. Our job as creatives is simply to do the work, to set it free. You have my permission. Go ahead. Write that book. Sign up for that event, get the hell out of the house and interact with people, turn on your love light and let it shine. All right, let's move you towards the exit. I will include all Dwayne's links in the blog post on oldmanapocalypse.com and in the show notes. Please reach out and say hi to Dwayne. Dwayne's also in our Facebook group if you want to give him a shout out there. And I'll stick the interview in here. Give us the uh, 200 words or less on who you are and what you do and what we're going to be talking about. (laughs) Well, I'm just a regular guy trying to figure out what what he wants to do with his life creatively. I really have a lot of irons in the fire. I thought, you know what, let me put the writing iron in there, too. When you threw out that invitation to, to put something together and send it in as a challenge, I thought, I've got something in my head. I got something already brewing. So I I tapped into that. You want to hear what that was? So this, my understanding is that this was originally an entry, an unfinished entry from a previous story contest where they wanted you to write a story from the viewpoint of the zombie. Yeah, I found that to be intriguing and I sort of played around with it a little bit, but I never really did flesh it out. Sorry for the pun there. Um, (laughs) But they were, yeah, they were looking for uh, a, a story from the zombies' perspective, and I, I immediately went a little bit more personal and deep with that, to where I, I wanted to, I wanted to get inside of an ordinary man's head, as he went through a slower transformation, into this dark place of death, and and there seemed to be to me so many possibilities and directions to go with that. I thought, what an interesting journey to go on. And so I was, that's what it was, it's been in my head for a while here. And when you put out this invitation, I thought, here's an opportunity to kind of flesh this out. And in two weekends, I sat down and said, you know, let's give it a shot. And within minutes, I started to get 
a real focus on what I wanted to, to do here. I picked the setting of an alleyway like that because, and, and honestly, everything I'm sharing here, I really feel was an organic experience. This is nothing that I calculated out, but I, I feel like I picked that setting because there seemed to be a lot of opportunity for, for metaphor in a setting like that, darkness and light, damp and comfortable. Yeah, there's there's a reason people use dark alleyways, right? And yeah, if you remember, right. I I used one in that um in that alien noir story I was writing, right? Yeah, that's in an alley. And yeah, you're right. It's just because there's a certain atmosphere. You say alley, and people automatically they know the atmosphere, right? They're yeah. trained in that atmosphere. So yeah, and so I remember, and I remember that when I originally um, addressed this, I I remember the idea of a of a shadow and and peeking out toward a light where there was hope for for salvation or for freedom but then whether that person was going to move toward that light or stay in the shadows so there's there's just these interesting metaphors there to play with right and i and i picked up on the on the light and the shadow the, the dark darkness versus light metaphor and that's kind of why i thought originally I thought this was more of a ghoul or a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde sort of situation because, there, you know, there's no zombies. Nobody was getting no. bitten. So I thought no, uh, no. it was, had, had more of a Victorian air to it. And especially yeah. when you you lead with the Edgar Allan Poe quotation, you know, that sort of sets that that tone. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting. There's been a lot. I, I've listened to a couple of good science fiction stories that talk about the zombies in different light, right? Instead of just wandering around chasing and killing people. Like there was yeah. that one where they had figured out how to, how to cure the zombies. Mm. And, but you know, the, it was really hard for them to work their way back into society after they oh. had, you know, killed and eaten their brothers. Right? I guess so. Right. Yeah, so, so that was an interesting take. So, yeah. yeah. So yeah, I, I, I did like get that sort of struggle but I also found that your language pointed towards that pull of eating the animal, the visceral nature of killing had sort of an allure to it, right? Yeah. Yeah, I felt I felt so. First of all, I, I, I really enjoyed and this is coming. Hopefully this is interesting to your listeners, some of many of which are not writers themselves. I'm in that boat. I'm 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 sort of just discovering do I do I like to do this do I have a knack for this I'm pleased with my experience in this situation that doesn't mean I know how much more I want to do with this but I just I know this exercise was really fun for me I feel I found uh, in the language I feel there's a sort of a melodic flow to it that is just very helpful in uh, attaching to the feelings that this man was going through, to the experiences he was he was having as he slipped further into darkness, and so I enjoyed playing with that. And I, I like I would know when a sentence needed more or or it needed less, and I felt like I was making those edits pretty quickly for myself. And I I personally was was pleased with how it turned out. This this is a pivotal moment for him. Now, honestly, Chris. I, I see this more as an excerpt from the middle of a more full story of which I don't know exactly how that would begin or how it would end. Um, yeah, that's that's the tricky part, right, is because you get these really um, powerful scenes in your head. You know, I yeah. get these scenes mm -hmm. and 
And then you got to say, okay, how did I get there? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and how do I get out of there? Right. That's I, a great I, scene, but how does it fit into the overarching yeah. uh, narrative? Right. 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 I, I don't, I don't think I could sustain this kind of narrative um, in, in, in the either direction to, to, to begin and or to complete this story. I don't yeah, know how and, I would do that. And that's, that's been the, the fun part of learning how to do that with the apocalypse story. Right. Mm. So, but going, going back to your thing here, thing with this is you read it into audio and I was comfortable with that because I know you're a thespian yeah. by yeah. nature. So you know how to how to project and how to yeah. how to how to pace and time that dialogue. And like you said, when you write and you can hear the music, sometimes it's frustrating when other people read your writing because they sure. they're singing a different song than you are, right? That's why I that's why I put so much instruction, at least I do now into the stuff I give uh, Robert, right? Yeah, in terms of pacing and emphasis and where the ital italics go. Sure. Um, and sure. I think it makes a difference. But yeah. And knowing you, I said, oh, you know, you should just read this yourself. Yeah. So how was that process to to read it into audio? It turned out to be great. I, I have, was suspicious of my ability to pull off what I, in my head, felt it, what I wanted to hear. And I just sat down at my kitchen table on Saturday mornings before anybody else was up and um, knocked out one sentence at a time and, and sort of tried to find the mood that I felt it needed. And then and then when I when I edited it together, I started to find that there were chunks that I said, OK, this is not this is not too bad. I'm, this is very close to what I what I think I want to hear here. Good. I found that you also you hear things when you're reading it that you don't see when you're writing it. So you go back and make edits based on mm -hmm. th things that don't fit the sort of the melody of the, of the piece. Right. One of the things I find I do a lot is I, and you've seen this in my writing is I, I'll use the same word like six times. I'm, I'm exaggerating, but just oh. multiple times in ah. right next to each other. And yeah. a lot of times you guys will catch that. If not, I'll catch it when I'm reading it through it. Cause as part of my process is I read that sort of not out loud, but out loud in my head to to see what it sounds like. Right. Yeah, sure. And, and oh. I catch those little things that don't work. Yeah, it was fun. Like, for, for instance, the final line there, which is pretty substantial. I recorded that several times and then just went through and found the one that I felt matched best with what, what it was coming out of. And yeah, so so I think the message I would have, you can have your own message, message I would have for people is. Get over yourself. Just do something, right? Yeah. <laughs> if you feel like doing it, do it. You don't need permission from anybody. Just no. do it, right? And if yeah. one and if one person listens to it, if it's your mom, good enough, right? Yeah. Learn no, from I, that and move on the next time. I I am I'm learning that. I am learning that, and this is uh this has been a good good experiment for me. All right. Well, let's move to the exit, shall we? Sure. <laughs> On that note, <laughs> inside joke. Um, yeah. Like I said, thanks for doing this. I appreciate it. And I uh, look forward to working with you on seasons four and five, where yeah. we, can, we can jump the shark. Yes, you know what, sir. You know what, you know what I jump do. the shark means? I do. That is, isn't that a, a television production? It is. It's from the last season of Happy Days. When they had Fonzie water skiing and he jumped over a shark. And at that point, everybody just kind of put their head in their hands and shook their head and said, that's it. You know, 
we got to find the exit. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yes, yeah, so let's jump the shark. All right, uh, man. Thank you, Chris, again for the opportunity to to throw something out there and to and to focus on. Appreciate it. Thank you. Okay, great stuff, Dwayne. I do have a few outro comments for this. So, for the rest of you, what have I been doing in the two weeks since we last talked? Well, I've been putting my ideas together for Season 4, and I am quite enjoying the process. Uh, As you know, I'm training, or you might know, I'm training for a fall marathon, too. So, I'm back running again, the Marine Corps Marathon. And I'm collecting for teen suicide for a charity. If you want to help me out, I'd love your support. I'll leave the link here. I did watch a couple of sci-fi movies this week, and I did that amusing or annoying thing where I commented on Facebook while I was watching the movies, a bit of a mystery science mad dog action, if you will, and there may have been beer involved. The first movie was a movie called Cargo from 2009, a bit of a space opera. And these are my stream of consciousness drunk tweets. Why is there so much gravity in space? Whoop, German space sex. Space is a lot like Canada, big beers and country music. Why am I getting so many feminine care product ads and makeup? Are you trying to tell me something? It's supposed to be freezing, but there's dripping water everywhere. Castaway stowaway. Up, oh, the AI did it. 2009, A German Space Odyssey, Midnight at the Happy Human Storage Units. This director watched 2001, A Space Odyssey way too many times. Hansel and Gretel in Space Sims. Okay, that's quite enough emotional running through the sim forest. Lost in Space. Yeah, no, Newton would not approve. And finally, why is there a fire axe on a spaceship? So that'll give you an idea of uh, what's going through my mind when I'm watching a bad science fiction movie. I also watched The Vast of Night from 2019, and I will spare you from my my drunk tweet list, but I ended up with the alternative new titles of Alien American Graffiti or Close Encounters of the New Mexican Kind. I, I didn't like the ending, but I liked the movie. And finally, I watched... Arrival, the big-budget Hollywood movie from 2016 with Amy Adams and Jeremy Renner before he ran himself over with the snow machine. And apparently I liked it and gave it an A- minus for a grade. And that's it, folks. Watch the feed for more random hilarity over the summer. Check out Dwayne's links. And whatever you do, keep surviving. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 